0: I'm so excited, uh, thankful to be given this opportunity to preach this series leading up to Easter weekend, and the whole goal of this series is to see how close we can get to God, how close we can get to our original design as human beings. And I've been asked several times, Rylan, what's this series about? Like, really, what's it about? And I've been hesitant to say, I haven't wanted to say it out loud, but this is a worship sermon series And the reason I haven't really wanted to let that word get away or kind of get out there is because I think we all kind of carry around some distorted view of worship or some distorted definition of worship. So I didn't want you to get the wrong idea before you even got here and heard anything. But that's what this is. This is a worship sermon series. Really, this answers the question, what does God really want from us? And that's a subject of worship. I don't know if you're like me and you've ever just said, God, what do you want from me? Like, really, what do you want me to do? So let me unpack that for you. This is a subject of worship. Today, uh, the first thing we need to do right off the bat is answer the question, who was the first worshiper? Ryland, that's kind of weird. Why should I care who the first worshiper was? Because whenever you want to learn the purest uh, teaching of something, You go back to the original place. This is one of the laws of Bible study. It's called the law of first mention, which means the purest teaching of anything is in its first mention. So the first worshiper mentioned in the Bible, the first worshiper, I'll just tell you, is Lucifer. Before we get to that, let me tell you about the the three named angels in the Bible. Uh, This isn't in your notes, and I don't have time to give you a whole message or a whole series on angels. Uh, You'll see... Uh, later in the message why I needed to do this and I realized that this might create some questions on the topic of angels so if you leave here you want to know more or uh, you have more questions I'd like to just recommend a book to you it's called angels and it's by Billy Graham and uh, it's pretty short he I mean you could read it in just a few sittings and he just does a really great job of getting to the point and clearing up kind of the topic of angels for us So there are three named angels in the Bible. The Bible tells us that there are more angels than we could count, but only three named in Scripture. And the first is Michael. And every time we see Michael, he's responding to uh, people praying. In fact, there was a time when Daniel uh, was praying and Michael said, yeah, I came in response the first time you prayed, but when I came, I got caught up in a war in the heavenlies. So there's stuff that happens when you pray. And Michael's kind of leading up that whole thing. And I don't know what that does inside of you. I don't know if that freaks you out or inspires you. Uh, The second named angel is Gabriel. And you know this from the Christmas story. Gabriel's the one who tells Mary that she's going to be pregnant, even though she's never been with a man. And the baby's going to be God. God. So Gabriel kind of has a hard job. He has to deliver a message or a word from God. And the third named angel is Lucifer. And Lucifer was over worship in Revelation 12. It says that when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him, and now they are uh, they're the demons. And we're going to study this last one here, worship. By the way, if you're just getting going in the Christian faith, you want to have a quiet time, you're not sure what to do, man, I encourage you, just spend a third of your time in the word, in the Bible, a third of your time in prayer, and another third in worship, just a little bit of each, and you will have one dynamic time. This is the one we're going to study today, worship. You know, Christians believe that there's a God and there's a devil, In fact, most people, whether they're Jesus followers, whether they believe in Jesus or not, believe that there is something, that there's good and evil, but yet we don't really study how this came to be, like really, and we don't really look into this. It's found in two places, and I just want to walk you through it pretty quickly today, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Hang with me, we're going to move pretty quickly I'm going to ask you to just kind of like, I'm going to teach you some things and we'll kind of put that on the back burner and come back to it and it'll all make sense in the end. Isaiah 14. Now, if you look in your Bible, just before this in your Bible, it's going to say that this is directed to the king of Babylon, which some would say this isn't talking about Lucifer. This is talking about the king of Babylon. Well, oftentimes in Scripture, in the Bible, uh, it'll direct something to someone, to a person, but really refer to the Spirit behind what that person is doing. For example, once Jesus looked at one of his followers, one of his disciples, Peter, and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he said it to Peter, but he was really saying it to the spirit behind what Peter was doing. And that's what's going on here. So you'll see very quickly, this isn't talking about the king of Babylon. This is talking about Lucifer. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star... Son of the dawn, you've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. So why did he get expelled from heaven? You said in your heart, I will ascend. Notice how his desire is to be above God. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend over the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like and look over all the names of God he could have used. He says, the most high. And in his heart, he resents that God is getting all the glory, all the worship, all the adoration. And he decided he wanted to be above God. And I point that out because that's still very much his goal today. His motive has not changed. He wants the attention off of God and on anything else. And in it, he himself actually gets the worship because he accomplished his goal. And that's why we have to be very careful where we direct our worship. Because anytime we direct it off of the only one worthy, the most high God, we inadvertently help Satan accomplish his goals. Now, don't get me wrong here. God wants you to have passions. He wants you to have loves. In fact, he's instilled of some of those things inside of you. He wants you to get excited about things. But the commandment stands, you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing you get more excited about, nothing you're more passionate about than me. You can see it when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. He looked at Jesus and said, fall down. And worship me. And I'll give you all this. So where you direct your passions, your possessions, your energy, your love, your time, your money. It's important. And it's an issue of worship. One more verse before we get to Ezekiel. I'm going to give this to you in the King James. Just because some of these words are a bit clearer here. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, or the grave. And the sound of your stringed instruments... So does Lucifer carry around with him a harp? Is that what this is saying? No, like a stringed instrument was part of his being. Like he is a stringed instrument. And that might sound a little strange. I think it sounds a little strange. Uh, But file that away. Okay, we'll come back to that. The second place this angel is taught in Scripture is in Ezekiel 28. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, Imperfect beauty. OK, let's stop right there. We think the devil, like the image we get in our mind is this ugly human with horns and a forked tail. He's actually pretty attractive. And that kind of that imagery comes from uh, dates all the way back, like to Asia Minor, where philosophers made statues of him looking this way. But the devil's actually pretty attractive. And after Jesus' work on the cross, after his his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the indwelling of his spirit into his followers, Satan had to change his strategy. His plan had to change, and he needs us to be deceived about who he really is. So he tries to convince us that. He's just ugly and dark, and everything he wants us to do is ugly and dark, when really he's pretty attractive, and he baits us, he tempts us with attractive things. They look good at first, but they end in death, right? I mean, think about it. If he just showed us what would be at the end of the trail, the dead end, it would be no temptation to us. We'd never do it. That wouldn't look good to us. Why would I want to do that? Why would I I want to end in that dark place? No, he just shows us kind of the the first crack in the door and, and it looks good. And he wants us to be deceived about who he really is and what he's really doing. Isn't that exactly what he did in the garden? How he tempted mankind? Verse 13 You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. So God not only dressed him as this string instrument. Uh, but also adorned him. He put jewels on him, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Next verse, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on on the day you were created. So not only was he adorned in these jewels and kind of made up of this stringed instrument, but he also had in his being uh, these timbrels, you know, like a percussion instrument, and pipes. now, I don't know how much you know about music, but but every instrument falls into one of these three categories. You can either pluck it, that's your stringed instruments, you know your violins, your banjos, guitars, even a piano is a stringed instrument. you You hit a key and it plucks a string. And then you' got percussion instruments. this is drums, cymbals, tambourines, anything you can hit. And makes noise. And then wind instruments. So a symphony is separated into these three categories. Strings, percussions, and winds. You know anything that you can blow into and it makes noise. Saxophones, flutes, trumpets. And Lucifer himself possessed all three in his being. And on top of that, he's adorned in every kind of jewel. Okay, file that away. We'll come back to it. Verse 14, you were anointed. You were, so when he did it, when he showed up, when he did his thing, stuff happened. It wasn't just pleasant to the ear. It was powerful. Listen to me. Music is powerful. You need to know this. It can shape a culture. It can shape a person. It shapes us. That's why you can be in a worship service and the music's going and you feel the presence of God. Music can increase our awareness of the presence of God. It doesn't increase the presence of God. It's not like, oh, now that the music started, God showed up. But it increases our awareness of the presence of God. Music is powerful and it will increase our awareness of something or someone, not based on the style of music, but based on what the music is directed towards. Cultures have been shaped by their music. He's very uh, still anointed in this he hasn't lost that and he's using music to destroy cultures and generations he's using it to brainwash people and distract people i want one phrase can ruin a person's life and they heard it in a song and look at any movement of evil and there's a musical theme about it i'm telling you our top 40 is ushering us into the days of noah it's happening. I'll give you a, a wild example of this. In 1980, Ozzy Osbourne came out with a song called Suicide Solution. And that year, suicide went up 400% in America. Like, it worked. It communicated something because music has power. And you need to know that your enemy is still very much anointed in, the, in this area of music. And he gets his agenda out that way. So you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, and that's an important word because that's that's just what Satan did, is he replaced what belonged to God and he took it for himself. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants to take what wants us to take what belongs to God, our worship, to the only most high, the only one worthy, and give it to something else, anything else other than him. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. The New Testament calls him the God of this age. He's the God, little g, (laughs) of this earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So God expelled him to the earth. And and Jesus himself talks about this. Jesus himself. Would you just say that? Say "Jesus Jesus himself. You see, this is some pretty wild stuff. In fact, I think a lot of the Old Testament is... There's some interesting things in there. There's some hard-to-believe stuff. But Jesus himself, God who came, performed miracles, who rose from the grave, confirms it, and he takes it seriously. And I'm a Jesus follower. In fact, I'm betting my whole life, all my chips are in on Jesus Christ. And if he takes it seriously, I take it seriously too. Look what he said about this in Luke ten eighteen. Jesus said, I was there when it happened. I saw dad do it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now that's funny. Come on. Not much of an enemy, right? When God decided to deal with it, bam, and it was over. Like one second he's there and then you blink and he's gone. Now, see, some of us think that there's like these two superpowers battling it out you know, like God and the devil are just like at this huge chess board, and like one of them makes a move, and it's, oh, one of them stumps the other one. Or like they're in this big wrestling match. Have you seen that picture? Like God and the devil just arm wrestling. No, 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 no. You know, this, we think that this is like some big movie, like it's a two-hour movie of good and evil battling back. If God made a movie about this event, it would last like two milliseconds. I'm just trying to tell you who your God is. I thought I might get an amen somewhere in there, but you lost an hour, so I'll, I'll give you that. So check this out. Satan falls like heaven, like lightning from heaven. And now there's a position to be filled. He, so he still wants those three things to happen. The word, prayer, and worship. God wants those things to happen, but there's an unemployed cherub. He has a vacancy on his staff. So the question of the day is, who is the new worship leader? And you already know, it's you. It's me. Don't leave it to somebody else. And we can't help but do it. But we have to make sure every one of us directs that to the most Hi, God. You want to hear something pretty cool? He even put in you and on you, he added those three elements that he gave to Lucifer and he put them in you and on you. So like right here, there's two strings in your throat. They're called vocal cords and they're a stringed instrument. And you got a pipe in your body, part of your being. The air passes through and it passes by those strings and you can shout the praises of God. You can declare his truth. You can sing and you can talk. Okay, what about percussion? These bad boys right here. Yeah. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Read it with me. For the Lord most high is awesome. I said all of that to say this. You were created to be a worshiper. It's your job description. And that's why Satan hates you so much. He lost his job to you. Yeah, prayer is still being maintained. The word is still being maintained, thank God. But worship, we have this area of worship. This is not in your outline. Uh, look at the screen with me. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And all of hell is against you, by the way. I'm going to say this as positively as I can. And I rewrote just this little section of this message so many times. But you just got to know, today by and large, we're really not that great at worshiping God. Yeah, we're good at worship because that's what we're created to do we can't help but do it but we're not really that great at perfecting that anointing and that gifting to worship God and too often Satan succeeds in directing our best efforts away from glorifying God Every time we see we see Satan in the scriptures he's trying to drive a wedge between God and his people he's trying to drive a wedge in our relationship with him So what does all this mean How should that change my life? Well, there's three truths I want you to know. And if you'll flip your outline over, I I give you these. Number one is God made me from him. In other words, when he made you, he made you from himself. This is a whole teaching on its own. I'm giving you like three messages in one today. But if if you study the creation account in Genesis, what you'll find is that God created some things and then he made some things. What's the difference? Well, a created thing comes from nothing. Nothing. He just said, let there be light. Boom, there's light. Came from nothing. It appeared. That's the purest definition of the word created. Made, the definition of the word made means that he took something that already existed and made something else from it. So it would be like giving you a pile of clay and you making a vase. Well, you didn't just create the vase, you made it from something else. The truth is, we've never really created anything in the purest sense of the word. Not, nothing we've ever done has come from nothing. Only God can do that. Not even the devil can do that. All he does is pervert what God has created. So things can be created or made. And in the uh, creation account, we have both. Look at Genesis 1.11 with me. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land. He didn't say, let there be trees. He told the earth to produce some trees. Check this out. This is important. For everything he made, the reason he made it instead of create it is because he wanted the two to have a relationship with that from which it was made. So when he made something from something else, it's because he wanted those two things to be close. So he said to the earth, Produce a tree. Okay, now, tree, you came from the dirt. You're sustained by the dirt. You're going back to the dirt one day. So stay close to the dirt. And anytime a tree decides it's going to get away from the dirt, it dies. Whenever its root system is exposed, whenever it's pulled out from the dirt, it begins to die. God wanted them to have a relationship. When God created woman, He didn't just say, let there be woman. No, he took a rib from Adam and he said, this is, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Why? Because he wanted there to be a relationship between the two. So was mankind, were human beings created or made? Well, they were made. From what? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Let's take part of us and put it in mankind and make man in our image. And every one of us was made from God. Why is that important? Because we came from God, we're sustained by God, and one day we're going to go back to God. No, Ryland, I read that I came from the dust of the earth. Yeah, your body did. Your body came from the dirt. It's sustained by the dirt. Yeah, we all eat stuff that the earth produces. And one day our body will go back to the dirt. Not your spirit, man. Your spirit, man, came from God, is sustained by God, and will return to God. And the day you decide that you can live your life disconnected from that which you were made, you will die. Before you surrender your life to God, your spirit is dead. And whenever you disconnect yourself from God, you go dormant. Look on the screen here for this next verse. Colossians 2, 6-7. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. So you can learn all the truths. We can teach you all the truths. But if your roots never grow down deep into Christ, your faith will never grow strong. And this personalizes your relationship to God because you were made from God. Number two, God made me to be with him. And the reason we were made from him is so that there would be a relationship with him. Check this out. You know why God loves it that you're here today? You know why he loves it when you come to church? You know why he loves it when you tithe and when you give and when you serve and when you connect with people meaningfully in a small group? You know why he loves it when you tell other people about him? Because those things get you closer to him. That's why he loves those things. That's why he commands those things because they get you closer to him. This week, I was listening to a message from years ago of Pastor Kelly's, and in the message, he said this, don't confuse an outward act with inward commitment. Don't confuse an outward act with inward commitment. Here's what that means. Some of us have the action steps down, but we're totally missing why God wants us to do them. So we'll say, oh, small group, that that didn't work. Serving in ministry, that's really not all that rewarding. Tithing, doesn't the church have enough? And you're missing it because you don't have the right inward commitment. God did not make you from him so you could just check a box. God made you from him so you could be rooted in him and overflowing with thankfulness. How do I do that? Well, God came up with an example. And when God wanted to come up with an example of how to do this, he came up with a pretty extreme one. I mean, it's the most extreme example I think God could have come up with. This chapter in the Bible, it tells us how to have a great marriage. But then it says this Ephesians 5 For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, that's so sweet. That's so romantic. What a beautiful marriage. Look at this next verse. This is shocking. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says, you see that relationship over there where they're building a life together? They're at that reception. They can't hardly wait to get out of there. Build their life to one another. Talk to each other every day. See that relationship where they love and respect one another? See that relationship where they see each other at their worst and they help each other through those things? Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I really want. And when God wanted an example of, for what the relationship between Christ and his people would look like, the example he comes up with is a really great marriage. You need to know that, that one day all this is going to end and you're going to go to heaven and oh my goodness, we have the most warped ideas of what heaven's going to be like. We think that we're just going to like usher into these, these pearly gates and we're going to choir robe and We're going to join the choir and then we're going to stand there and start singing, but we're going to have to sing to the ground because we can't even look up because there's like this big mass of God. We're just going to do that for like 10,000 years and then see what happens. He doesn't really want that. He's really got that. He's got an angel. (laughs) He's got an angel up there that has never stopped, never stopped saying, Holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy. As soon as you get there, this is what's going to happen. God's going to walk you down an aisle to Christ himself. The church will be united with Christ, with Jesus himself. And as soon as that's over, there's going to be a reception. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. Oh, you're going to love it. There's going to be food. There's going to be laughter. We're going to toast to his goodness. We're going to sit around a table, tell story after story of how God pulled us from the muck and the mire. We'll celebrate his unfailing promises. We'll sing of his goodness. We'll get on the dance floor. We'll turn our mourning into dancing. It's going to be a party. Let me show you this. Let me show you the heart of, of your God. Revelation 21, 9 through 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Some of you men are like freaking out right now. This is so weird. But hey, we're talking about a powerful God here. We're talking about Jesus who endured the worst kind of suffering. Who's coming back one day as a lion, a warrior with a drawn sword. Yet he sees you as someone he wants to be close to. Watch this. This is so cool. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So he's got his bride. He's taking us up to the place he prepared. And watch how he's adorned this place. See if it sounds familiar to you. Verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Remember, that's what Lucifer was adorned with. He says, you're going to misuse that? Okay, well, I'm going to give that to my new worshipers. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, emerald, an onyx, ruby, chrysolite, beryl. He goes over the top. I say, Rylan, that's kind of weird. Well, isn't that what every man does? Before he gets his bride, he gets her a big old precious stone, right? At the heart of your God, that's what he's doing. And he can't wait for his church to come and see what he's prepared. So God made you from him. God made you to be with him. Number three is God made me to express love to him. And today in 201, we're going to give you the action steps for this message of how to be in relationship with God. We're going to give you the essentials of the Christian life. You're all invited to come. He wants you to love him back. Express love to him. What he wants back from you is for you to love him back. How beautiful, how simple. Jesus himself said it this way, yet a time is coming and is now come, saying it needs to happen right now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So God is looking for worshipers. At the end of the day, God isn't just looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. If all God wanted was more worship, I think he could get his hands on some more worship. He'd exponentially add to the angels. He'd get the rocks to sing his praise. He'd add more universes. No, God isn't some just like lonely, needy God. He doesn't need us. If none of us ever chose to love him back, he'd still be the same. He'd be just fine. He does this because he's good. He does this because he's overflowing with love. 2 Chronicles 16 nine, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the, the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Stop treating God like he's some faceless, feelingless, distant being that only exists on the pages of Scripture. He's looking to strengthen you, but he can only do that if you get close to him because you're made from him. Just like a tree can only be strengthened if it's connected and rooted to the ground. Some of us are wondering where the power of Christianity comes from. And you're not feeling it because you're not rooted, you're not connected to what gives the Christian life. Maybe you say, Rylan, this sounds great, and I I would love to have that kind of relationship with God, but the truth is there is a wedge between me and God. There's something in my life, there's something in my past There's something in my life right now I can't seem to overcome. And you think you can't come to God until you clean that up. Maybe you're ashamed of a sin. And you feel like you can't fully enjoy God because of that's in your life or that's in your past. But until you really accept his love, you'll never feel free to love him back. And if you never feel free to love him back, you're never going to overcome the sin. And it's time to realize the love that was poured out for you on the cross where his love ran red, your sin, it washed white. And know that because of Christ's work, sin and shame are powerless. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me today as we pray? Not a lot of moving around. This isn't your opportunity to leave. Every head bowed. God, I want us to be a worshiping church, a church of worshipers. I pray that our services would be passionate and honoring to you and that our relationship with you would be rich and fulfilling throughout all our days. We want to fulfill all that you have for us. We want to be deeply in love with you. So God, right now, in this moment, I pray that you begin to transform hearts And draw people to yourself. With every head bowed. Some of you are here today. And you say Ryland. I am am so far from God. But there is something. Going on in my heart. Drawing me to be close to him. Some of you have been that close before. But for whatever reason. You aren't now. Something's drawing you. You're seeing that your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. You say, I'm ready to be close to God. I'm ready to commit my life to him. I'm ready to be excited about things. Yes, but nothing more than God. I'm ready to give God my whole heart, my whole life. God, we have loved others, other things. We've believed that our plans are wiser than yours. And yes, in our hearts, we wanted to be above you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for making a way for us to come back to you and to know you. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. It's through Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.